Welcome to another episode of what I personally like to call the best, the most entertaining, the most informational, and the most inf- and the most informational, and of course, the most educational basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast. Unless you've been living under a rock, you would know that this is Tate's Take. You can find it accessible anywhere you find your favorite podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all those things, all the good fixings, and um. And also streaming live on Periscope as well as on Facebook, uh, including YouTube and on Twitch. For episode number, where are we at now? 93, so seven more episodes until lucky number 100. And without further ado, because I know that we had been teasing and talking about uh, what we will discuss coming up soon as far as on the circuit, uh, on the AU grassroots uh, level circuit, things like that. Uh, and then we're going to have a very special guest. And I've been waiting for her to join us because the last time that we had this conversation uh, was right around the time of the Iverson Classic, I believe it was. Uh, and we had a chance to tap in and talk for a little bit. And, of course, really excited to see the things and hear the things that she has to say because she was out there at the Nike EYBL Peach Jam as put out some really, really awesome mock drafts amongst other things. So I won't spoil it too much. And without further ado, I want to get ready to bring her in because she's so intelligent, so smart, very intellectual. And I want to make sure that I give her her flowers uh, while uh, it's it's certainly well overdue. Kristen Peak, three-level basketball analyst for Yahoo Sports and Rivals.com. Follow her on all social media platforms at Kristen Peak. Kristen, how are you? Great. I mean, it's draft week. We just finished at Peach Jam. I mean, this is like the best time of year for me. <laughs> it is. It is for us. Correction for us. Uh, for us. Let yeah. me let me let me ask you this first, because I know at the tail end when we were talking the last time, um, we had a little visitor. Okay, so we have to check in on the visitor and see how the visitor is doing. You're a new own, a relatively new owner to a puppy. I can't remember the name, so forgive me. I don't want to butcher butcher it. How's the dog doing? He's he's great. He's right at my feet, chewing on some bones, so he won't be barking at birds out the window. Um, his name is Gary. He's doing great. I don't want if I bring him up here, he might get distracted and then start like barking at himself in the reflection, which <laughs> none of us <laughs> need and want. For sure, for sure. No, I'm glad that you uh, that you had a choice, a, a chance to uh, to join us. I, I want to start off with this coming up first. Uh, team final edges, Brad Beal, Elite 6461 for the 2021 Peach Jam title. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you saw on the circuit, what the experience was like. Obviously, we didn't get a chance to have that the year before, so I'm sure it was nice to be able to be back in the building again. And uh, just a couple of, you know, your takeaways from being there uh, over the weekend. Yeah, what was so different about this year, two things. One, they didn't allow uh, fans and it was just uh, limited media. I was there when the NBA scouts were there. There were, no, there were, there were two live periods kind of bookend when the, um, when the NBA scouts could be there. So I went in the middle when uh, NBA guys could be there this close to the draft. Um, So it was nice. It was good to like move around um and move from gym to gym without any hassle or waiting out outside to get into a gym to see a top prospect um so that was really nice about it um some of the players i thought that stood out to me i mean what was so interesting about team final is they didn't play well in my opinion at all and if you ask the you know uh rob brown who's like the director 
um, of team final, he was just like, I cannot believe we're seven and one and we're playing this bad. I mean, there were a couple games, one game where they won the game. I think they were playing, um, I can't even remember. There was so long, maybe pro skills where they won in like a last second layup. And then they, they're playing Jaden Bradley and CP3 and Jaden beats everyone down the court to tie the game with 3.5 seconds left. And he misses the layup. So team final wins. And honestly, Jalen Duran just looked bored out there. Like he's so good. He, he doesn't have to play hard and he still gets 17 and 10. Um, so it was, it, it was fun to see some of the younger guys. I mean, Amani Bates struggled uh, it, just in shooting gen in general. And then one game and then the very next game, he has 35 points. So he was very inconsistent. Bronny James was a pleasant surprise. I talked to NBA scouts and they were happy to see that, you know, he's more than just a, a last name. I think he's a phenomenal defender, on-ball defender, a great shot blocker. He's got, you know, great uh, bounce, I guess, <laughs> in terms of being able to block shots. And at the one game that I watched, um, the first game I watched, he had six threes. So his shooting is getting a lot better. And, you know, for the eight other kids on that team um, for Strive for Greatness, they had LeBron James coaching him. So what an experience for them and what a gift. Like they were so blessed to be able to learn from him. And you saw guys like Jackson Kaler, you know, his game has just blossomed and you're starting to see him get way more offers outside the Pac-12. Um, and so you know, just seeing kids that kind of take advantage of that opportunity. Carmelo Anthony was on the bench there. Russell Westbrook was there coaching team. Why not? You know, uh, giving a lot of pointers to Pop Isaacs, who is also a point guard um, who's entering his senior year. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good time. It's great. It's always great to be back in the gym and being able to see like some of the highest talented players compete at one of the best events of the summer. Talking about uh, Brownie James and some of that uh, exclusive bounce ability. Not sure that that probably surprises anybody, but I do think it's interesting that you mentioned how he is more than just a last name uh, because it's, as you can imagine, probably it's, you know, everybody's thinking it's like the coolest thing in the world to be the son of LeBron James, but the expectations that come with that. And sometimes uh, from those that are not just your parents, you know, uh, from those that are in media and also, you know, fan bases and such around the country and you having to maybe feel like you have to live up to that. I wouldn't want that kind of pressure on me per se, but it appears that he's doing a really good job of that because I can only imagine what it's like trying to walk in those shoes. It's like, Hey, I didn't even ask for this. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned some of that because I get a lot of people that ask a lot of questions about Bronny James. First of all, without me being a person that lays eyes on a, um, on, on, on a person, um, in, in person, I don't really go too much off of highlights and different things like that. So I'm like, you know what, for those of you who want to know, I'm going to bring on Kristen Peak on Tuesday evening and she'll be able to answer all of those questions for you. Um, let me ask you about this uh, in terms of um, the in, in terms of, uh, of of the Peach Jam, and we're gonna play just a, a little bit of uh, fill in the blank. Blank helped raise their stock the most this summer on the circuit. Whether you have more than one name, that's per perfectly fine. But who is one of those names that was? a nobody in the eyes of so many and it just seems like they just really put some things together over the summer and really catapulted their game and getting a little bit more notoriety 
Bryce Lindsay is the first name that comes to my mind. He played for Team Mello, um, a sharp shooting guard, a great playmaker, someone that entered the summer with a lot of mid-major offers. And now you're starting to see the high major team or the, the high major schools get involved with his recruitment. Um, he was very impressive, very even keel guard, um, made the right reads off the screen and a great defender. And someone not only that the high school or not the high school, the college coaches were watching, but also NBA guys are looking at him and seeing his long-term potential. So I think he helped himself a lot. Chance Westry, another player from New York Rens who may or may not be, be returning to uh, Sierra Canyon this year, um, is another really long guard, um, great, phenomenal passer, um, someone that not a lot of people knew. I mean, they knew who Chance Westry was, but since he only played a few games in high school, no, he wasn't really like on everyone's radar. And now I think, you know, he's, again, uh, NBA teams are starting to ask about him and, you know, seeing his upside as a potential pro and what he can be at the college level. So those are two guys that really come to my mind um, in terms of uh, helping their draft stock. And then one of the guys that's like a, four-star player now who definitely earned his five-star status in just the one week, the last week at Nike EYBL is Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas. I mean, that player, they, during the finals against team final, he had 30 points out of the 61 points that his team scored. So he was doing everything on the court. And obviously he's already has, you know, Kentucky's involved, Kansas. Uh, he took a visit to Georgetown. Uh, Arkansas, Auburn, and Alabama are are all involved with him. Wow, no, that is uh, that is definitely awesome. And something else I was going to ask you about because uh, this kind of came to mind a little bit when you were talking a little bit about both of these prospects. Uh, a lot of people have high expectations for guys like Jalen Duran. I can't remember exactly if I heard, and I could be uh, mistaken. And correct me if I'm wrong. The possibility of potentially reclassifying, but maybe I could be totally off base on that. Um, and just kind of want to see what's the update with that. And just uh, Imani Bates just recently putting out a list of, I think, eight uh, eight different options, if you will. I think I saw G League in there, um, Overtime Elite, Michigan State, of course, uh, Oregon, and a few others, Memphis and some NBL and so forth. Um, just your overall thoughts on what the future or the what the most likely thing that we will see uh, in terms of decisions made for for either of those two guys, I mean, I think it's a it's got it's one of those foregone conclusions. Like Jalen Duran does not need to play another year of high school basketball. Similar to Jonathan Kaminga last year, like he just doesn't. He already has an NBA ready body. Like he he needs to go either go to college this fall or join the G League Ignite team. Um, or I don't, I don't think the NBL is still an option. I think he's down to four, three schools in the G League Ignite. So um, I think that decision is going to come sooner than later. And for Amani, I, I honestly, I think the pro route is another, another, you know, uh, option that we're going to see him choose as well. Like whether that's overtime elite, depending how much money they want to throw at him, or G League Ignite and or NBL. Like I know. Uh, the G League, uh, Rod Strickland and another coach were actually at Peach Jam watching both players. So um, there's probably definitely conversations behind closed doors going on with both those players. But I think both Amani and Jalen Duran are more gearing towards the pro route than college. Yeah, and I was going to ask you too, and I'm not, I, I got a really good feeling I'm not the only person at least feeling this way, just that vibe, that energy 
that the Imani Bates stock has kind of plummeted uh, to an extent, at least from where it once was at one point in time. And I don't know how much of that has to do with other guys growing into their bodies, growing into their games, or, you know, maybe uh, Imani, I guess, um, I guess, uh, uh, I guess somewhat capping, almost like imaginary capping off his potential a lot earlier than other guys. Uh, it just doesn't really appear like he's having a ton of fun out there. You don't see very many smiles and things like that. What are some of the reasons you think behind some of that? Because a lot of people are really seeming to note his struggles more than it is the talent that he puts on the floor. And nonetheless, he's still a really, really talented player, despite all of it. Just like you mentioned, he didn't shoot the ball well. Why do you think some of that is? Well, I can tell you one time that he did smile on the court, he hit two really tough, long back-to-back threes with a player in his face with LeBron on the bench. And when he hit the second one, he kind of looked over at the bench, smiled at Bron and goes like this. And Bron just like puts his head down and starts shaking his head. So I don't like, and here's what I'll say about Imani. I think we as media put way too high expectations. Well, he was way too young on him you know, calling him the next Kevin Durant, saying he's the best prospect since LeBron. Like that is a ton of pressure to put on a 14 year old, 15 year old. And then you also have to take in consideration this year of quarantine, which, you know, there's only so much you can do working out alone or with two other people in the gym with your dad. You know, you need that one-on-one competition. You need to know week by week if you need to get stronger, if you need to get quicker with the pull-up and Amani didn't have that last year. So I think we all just need to to, like chill on Amani. Like he's still probably, I think the most versatile scorer in all of high school basketball, just with his length and how quickly he can get the ball off and how he doesn't, he fears no, no shot is, is off the table for Amani. It doesn't matter if he's double teamed, if his team is down and he feels like he can make the shot, he's going to take it. So there are some, you know, great characteristics that are going to make him a great pro one day. But I think we all just need to chill on the criticism of Imani. Um, Is he the next LeBron? No, but we as media shouldn't have given him that sort of, you know, tag or, or whatever that early on anyways. No, I certainly can uh, agree with you on much of that, Of uh, in, according to what you just said. Joining us right now, episode number 93, Kristen Peak, three-level basketball analyst for Yahoo Sports and Rivals.com. I want to ask you this very last question about um, about the, 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 the two of those guys uh, before we go and in, dive into what we're going to see within somewhere right around on the next 48 hours or so, talking about the NBA Draft 2021 on Thursday. Uh, if you had to make comparisons to those two players in terms of not necessarily like, well, I believe they're going to achieve the same things as these two guys that I'm comparing them to. Not talking about that, but more so who they remind you of in terms of their style of play or in terms of, you know, their build amongst other things. Still with Imani Bates and um, and, and Jalen Duran, uh, who do they kind of, when you watch them, they remind you of this person? Who is this person for each of those two players, just in your mind? In my mind, and I'm not talking about who these players are as pros. I, I kind of see very similar to where they were in high school. I look at Amani Bates, and he's very similar similar to Brandon Ingram and how he was as a high school prospect. And Brandon's been just fine as a pro. You know, it took him a couple years to kind of find his, find his grounding. But um, he's someone that I see a lot in Amani. And then for Jalen, 
Carl uh, Anthony Towns, like they're both very, he was, Cat was <laughs> similarly built. Like you looked at him and you're like, okay, like this kid's a pro. And the same thing with Jalen. I mean, he's just physically ready for the NBA and he's already, you know, he's got a strong back to basket. He's great in the pick and pop. He needs to extend his game past three point line and work on his handle, but that's something that will come. So that's the reason I say Cat because I feel like Cat had the same struggles and he still kind of does, you know, as a pro. One guy that I don't think is getting nearly enough credit sometimes. I think he's just now starting to move into some of the talks and conversations. This lively kid, I can't remember his first Derek name. Lively. Derek Lively is really, really a ball player. And uh, I think some people are really starting to kind of take notice and realize that Jalen Duren, uh is not the only guy. Now, what I want to do now is I kind of want to move, and I think you kind of know how this works, uh, that we are going to move into our, whoops, there we go, uh, into our segment in which I do like to, uh, it, it is a little bit more of quick release, somewhat rapid fire. Of course, make sure we're paying the bills, sponsored and powered by Exotics by Curtis Smith. Look good, feel good, play great, exoticsproducts.com. All 110% natural products, no chemicals added. Just make sure at the checkout, before you check out, put in that discount code Tate's Take, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E, and get your 15% off. And with that said, I'm going to throw a couple questions your way. Kristen, you already know pretty much how this rolls. Um, let's start off with um this right here as we're talking now about the nba draft now i'm a bad boy by nature bred born that's just the way it is my thing is i don't care just make the right pick i don't want to go through this darko thing i'm just now starting to get over the darko Milicic thing from 2000 what four i believe it three or four um I want to get i, I want to i want you to tell me or talk me off the ledge if it's necessary Am I absolutely crazy for thinking that the window is or should be a little bit smaller uh, when people are considering Kate Cunningham and, and need to maybe consider Jalen Suggs? I just feel like there's a little bit of disrespect there. Give me your thoughts on that. Am I totally crazy for that? You are out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> if, if any player deserves a number one look out of Suggs, Cunningham, Jalen Green, or Evan Mobley, it's Jalen Green. And, you know, there, there are reports that the Pistons are heavily considering Green for the number one or trading down with Houston um, to make the switch where they would get Green at two and Houston would take Cunningham at one. But Jalen Suggs is nowhere. I mean, he should not be in the conversation for a number one player when you have those two you know, potential franchise changing players ahead of him. I mean, nothing against subs. I love Jalen. I think he's a great playmaker. He's one of the toughest players in the draft. He's just a little bit smaller. He's not as athletic as Jalen Green and um, did not shoot the, wall, the ball well at um, Gonzaga. So um, I'm cool with the Raptors taking him at four, but I do not think he should be getting a number one look. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I'm glad that you mentioned some of that about Jalen Green because uh noticeable the relationship that you have and you've been covering him uh extensively and in depth for a really long time and doing different interviews and i always think that it's funny whenever he and is it josh christopher, josh christopher. are around each other and it's always like a, a, a really good a really grand time uh talk to me a little bit about your relationship with Jalen green some of the things that you've learned about him some of the things about um 
maybe his game. And I did have a question in here, so I do want to make sure that I put that in there. Um, and in regards to uh, to to Jalen Green, uh, there we go. Perfect. Blank sets Jalen Green apart from the rest and ready for the NBA. What is that blank when it comes to him that really makes him so special and sets him apart? I would say his motor and his athleticism. I mean, this is a guy, he's virtually unstoppable in transition once he gets the ball and gets to the rim. And honestly, I think he's an underrated passer as well. I mean, before I spoke to him, before the G League bubble season, I asked him, I said, what are you hoping to show NBA scouts? And he said, I want to show them that I'm more than just an athlete. I want to show them that I can create for others, that I can pass. And when I went down to the G League bubble, I was there for a week. In one of the games, it was probably the most complete half of halves of basketball I've ever seen from Jalen Green. And that's saying something because I've seen him since he was in eighth grade. And he had 17 points and eight assists um, in the half against professionals. So that to me, I mean, you you just can't you can't coach that. That's more instinctual basketball. And, you know, when you look at someone that can take over a game and has that next level in terms of your motor, Jalen has that. I don't think Kate has that. Um, and I don't think Evan Mobley, obviously, and Jalen Suggs doesn't. Wow, very interesting. And now talk to me a little bit about, I don't like to call it weakness, but uh, areas of improvement is what I like to call it. Because I think uh, according to what I've heard multiple times, of course, this is going into the season with the Ignite, is about the jump shot. How much have you seen that improve on his end? And, and, and uh, have you heard some of the similar uh, I guess maybe not red flags, but concerns about his inability uh, or his ability or lack thereof to be able to shoot the basketball at a high clip, particularly from the perimeter. Right. I don't I don't necessarily think it's his jump shot, including like his mechanics, like he's got great shooting mechanics. It's more of his shot selection and when to drive and when to pull up or when to make the pass. His read off the pick and roll isn't as strong as Cunningham or Suggs. So though he definitely needs to work on that. But in terms of like him shooting. I've been in the gym with him twice before the draft and his shot looks great. He's got a high release. He's obviously, um, you know, a little bit longer at six foot six um, and is great at creating separation off the dribble as well. So um, I think it's just all about his decisions on the court and his shot selection, not so much of his shooting mechanics, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. It definitely does. And who knows, we might hear Jalen Green's name be called uh, number one in the NBA draft. So you know what? Let, let's put it this way. Let's put Commissioner Peak on the hot seat for a second with the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons. Who do you believe that they will select and who do you believe that they should select? So first, who you believe that they will select? And then if you were the commissioner, who would you select? I ha- I can't pick over Kate Cunningham. I just can't do it. I mean, you look at his upside and someone that you can plug in right away on a team and he'll make an impact and one through four or one through three, you know, on the wing. Um, I talked to his trainer just today and he said one of the things that they've been working on during this entire pre-draft season is they really, they took a deep dive into what his struggles were, you know, as one year in college and it was his ball handling. So they've really upped that and try to make him a stronger ball handler. He's already a great passer, a phenomenal rebounder, has great reads in the half court off the pick and roll and in transition. So he's just someone that you can't, I I think that you cannot pass up if you have the number one pick. But Jalen, no. it's like Kay Cunningham's number one, Jalen Green is like 1A. 
Okay. Okay. So I like a one. No, no, it's all good. And it's just that tight. And you know what is funny about that? And uh, and 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 of course, there will definitely be more than enough people that will uh, agree or disagree. Um, but while I don't necessarily feel like, by no means, that this is one of those poor drafts. I wouldn't necessarily say great, but if it is great, I feel like it's in the sense that so many guys are kind of like balanced or even keeled. Like, I don't know if anybody in this draft is going to necessarily be quote unquote great or all-star. I don't want to put limitations on them, but I don't want to put those kind of titles and pressure on them. However, I think it also said something that every guy for the most part, whose name is going to be called on draft night, especially in that top half of the lottery or top half of the first round, is going to be solid and can contribute uh, to every NBA team. And I guess technically they are great because you have to be great (laughs) to some extent to be able to get to this point. Um, So I definitely want to make sure that I mention that. But I think that it is very important with it being so close, you know, between a Scotty Barnes, who I can't guarantee won't necessarily have a better – pro career than a Cade Cunningham or all of the above. Uh, these guys are really so close. There's no one generational player uh, in this draft. And I think that's something that speaks volume more than anything. Um, talking about this NBA draft. Let's go now to, I want to find out from you who the sleeper is in this draft, whether it be one guy up to maybe three names, three or four, if you will, uh, who are some of those that you feel like could potentially be considered some sleepers in hearing their names called? I mean, the first sleeper in the draft is definitely Scotty Barnes, and he's going to go five. And that's crazy to think that, like, he's a sleeper at five, but he's the most versatile player in this draft class, a six, nine point forward, who, again, defensively, like, we see another Florida State player coming off the bench, go number four to the Chicago Bulls next year and made an instant impact defensively and Scotty Barnes is going to be the same thing. It's going to, it's like a rinse and repeat for Leonard Hamilton on draft night. So I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at him, even with him going number five to probably the Orlando magic, Chris Duarte, a six, uh, six wing out of Oregon. He's climbing up draft boards could even go as high as 14 to the warriors. I've seen, you know, or I've, I've been talking to a lot of people that think that he can sleep into the lottery. Um, he's a senior, so he's got a little bit more experience. And, you know, you look at what he did in the NCAA tournament when NBA teams were there. I think he averaged in the two games 22 points and almost eight assists in the game. So a great playmaker, someone, again, that has older experience that can come in and make an instant impact. Who do you think are probably the biggest question marks? uh maybe in this draft that's just like uh i don't know i mean i see the ceiling but i also see you know who who's one of those players or a couple of those players that you think are probably the biggest risk takers to to consider in this draft the absolute biggest risk taker in this draft is jalen johnson you know the six eight six nine forward out of duke who only played 13 games and then elected to step away from the team aka quit (laughs) at duke (laughs) Um, I was wondering where the quotations came from. I mean, you can step step away, but it says something when you look at, I mean, I can't even name another player in Coach K's 41-year Hall of Fame career that has opted out of the team early. It doesn't matter if you're injured or whatever. Like, I I cannot remember when a five-star recruit has just been like, nope, I'm done. See you, Coach K. I don't want to learn from you anymore. I'm going to go here and work out in the gym like to me that is 
that is crazy. But when you look at his upside and what he can bring to an NBA team, there's a lot of intrigue there. So it's almost like risk and reward. There's not a huge sample size to him from this past season. Um, you know, Brandon, BJ Boston told me that he's been great in workouts, uh, working out with, with him at clutch in, in Southern California, but you just don't know what teams are going to see in him. And his draft range is crazy. I think it's anywhere from like eight to 20, just depending on if a team wants to really take that risk. And if he's going to like commit to their organization and commit to their team and really buy into what they want out of him as a player. Well, one of the names you brought up, and these were two of them that I personally had in mind. I kind of want to get your take on them in terms of uh, bigger question marks or risks that you're taking in the drafts. One of them, obviously, being uh, B.J. Boston, who seems like he has just like declined, plummeted down the uh, down uh, in terms of his stock uh, and things like that. And then the other one is Sharif Cooper. Ironically enough, two guys that were coming from the state of Georgia, essentially. Just kind of want to get a brief take before we move forward on what you think about them and some of the question marks that there may be with uh, two of those guys, how you may project them to be a next level pro. Thanks, Sharif Cooper. I mean, the only thing that NBA teams worry about is his size. I mean, of course, there was that false report coming out that he was 6'4", which was a misprint from the NBA, and people lost their mind. They're like, Sharif Cooper hit a growth spurt. I'm like, no, he didn't. That was misprinted. Like, <laughs> So, no, he's still around 6'1", um, but he's a phenomenal playmaker. It's just trying to find a team that's going to buy into the small guard uh you know, situation that he's in. Um, he's one of the best passers, I think, in playmakers. I still think he goes in the first round um, somewhere in the early to late 20s. And with BJ Boston, I mean, he had a he's had a tough season and he's had a tough pre-draft um, whole experience with what happened with Terrence Clark and him being so close to him. So for him to still step up and, you know, I was at the Clutch Pro Day and he shot the ball very well. So I think that's really helping him. And for someone that was maybe considered a mid second round pick, I think he can sneak up into like the early thirties. Um, and he's another guy, like you look at his size and his length, he's six, 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 seven. He's put on a little bit of weight to his um, slight frame. And if he gets that jump shot falling, I mean, he's going to be a great, great pickup for any team in the second round. Let me find out what BJ Boston is doing to pick up weight. I'll be 37 on Monday and I'm still like 150 pounds as I was. It doesn't matter in high school. So that's just kind of where I'm standing with that. And I'm so upset that I wasn't able to like be there with you courtside for the first time in X amount of years. I'm still pretty uh, pissed off and upset about that. Just a couple more questions for you. I'm not going to hold you here too much longer. Kristen Peak, three-level basketball analyst for Yahoo Sports and Rivals.com. Uh, let's jump over to here next. A little bit more fill in the blank. Blank might surprise everyone else on the next level, but not me in terms of the NBA. Uh, for those who are going to hear their names called, who do you think that that kind of mystery player is that maybe not a lot of people are talking about, but that you feel extremely confident about that they are going to be a pro and a much better one than everybody else appears to think or is talking about? I have to say Zaire Williams. Um, he's a 6'10 wing out of Stanford. He didn't play very well this year. His one year at Stanford, I think he averaged 11 points per game and didn't shoot terribly well from the three-point line. But what you have to understand is he's a high character kid. He's a gym rat. This is a guy two summers ago during quarantine, he 
drove out to Las Vegas every Monday morning at 5 a.m. with a trainer, um, Joe, I can't remember his last name, from Impact Gym. And then he would work out with Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Josh Green, Malachi Flynn all week, Monday through Friday. And I remember being in the gym with him two summers ago. And I said, I was like, oh, what are you doing tonight? Like thinking like video games or whatever. And he said, oh, I have a Pilates class. So this is, this is the guy that gets it. Like he understands, like it's not just basketball on the court and playing the game. Like he understands what it takes off the court. And I know he knows he's undersized. Like he's, he has a slight frame and he's going to have to bulk up and add some weight to his frame to be effective at the next level. But I think he's a great shooter. He puts the work in and he's going to be one of those players. I mean, he's probably going to go anywhere from late lottery to the twenties. And next year people are going to be saying like, who is this six foot 10 guard that can shoot lights out? Like, and people that saw it in college, I mean, he played alongside BJ Boston and Bronny James and Amari Bailey at Sierra Canyon. Um, we all saw it. So I think it was just one of those where it was an off year and he's going to find his way in the NBA because the spacing at the NBA level caters more to a player like Zaire Williams than it did in college. No, I definitely, I couldn't have said it uh, better than you did. Second to last question before we get you up out of here. Don't be surprised if you see blank on Thursday night's NBA draft. What is kind of your, I guess, uh, uh, a prediction or take necessarily, but don't be surprised if we see what on Thursday night that might actually surprise some people. Uh, don't be surprised if you see James Booknight go higher than you think he would. <laughs> mm, interesting. I like that because James Booknight, one of those guys that can certainly fill it up. Him and Cam Thomas, between those two, I just feel really, really good about their abilities to be able to score the basketball on the next level. Um, very last question that I have for you. Let's go. Let's go here. Team USA has struggled. They continue to fall uh, to France 83 to 76 after they beat Spain with that exact same score of 83-76. Up next, obviously, you can see there the schedule at the bottom. Uh, where do you think that they finish in Tokyo? And what do you feel appears to be missing for this team behind why we've seen them struggle the way that we have recently? I don't know if they get gold this year. Um, they What are they missing? They're missing Steph Curry and LeBron James. That's what they're missing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you, you, have to, you have to remember that like these, these guys, they went from a, a bubble season to not much of an off season to then having to go into a short and regular season, but still like 70 plus games of basketball. And then going into the playoffs and some of them just came to Team USA like two days ago, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, um, and who was the other player that was coming with them? Um, anyway, so three of them just- Devin Booker, Drew Holiday. Yes, Drew Holiday. So these guys are tired, I mean, there's no fans there. Yes, you're playing for your country, but I don't I don't see them. You know, we, I remember the London games where there were tight games with Spain and it was Kobe and LeBron and Kevin Durant. And they just kind of like willed their team to a win for that gold medal game. And without fans, I mean, I don't see them caring that much if they don't win gold and just take silver or bronze. No, no, no. That makes perfect sense. And I'll say this much, um, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to see Kristen Peake again, but nonetheless, until that time, blessings, 
prosperity, be safe. Let's see that dog. Where, where, uh, where let me, let me, let me get him. Let me get him. Let me get okay, him. Okay. Okay. Cause I got right here. Baby. No, it's all good. That's going to make my day right there. I need that in my life. Gary, right? Gary. Does he okay. look like a stuffed animal? Oh, hi. I, know. I was going to say that I saw some pictures uh, on, on social, make sure that y'all go ahead and give her a follow, uh, at Kristen peak. But, uh, I saw some pictures, hashtag ball is life and that kind of yes. stuff like basketball. I'm like, yes. why? nothing looks cuter than that does. I know. Sure. <laughs> nothing is better than that. And I'll tell you what, um, but definitely we're going to have to do this again. Um, make sure that you guys go. She just put out her, um, last, uh, mock draft, I believe. So make sure you go and check that out. You can find that on Twitter as well. I don't know if you have any, I uh, definitely want to give you the floor. Any, uh, uh, last remarks or anything like that, but I definitely want the people to go and check out some of your work and maybe you can fill them in on where they can find it all. Yeah. You can read all my stuff on Yahoo sports. Um, I cover the NBA, I cover college, I cover grassroots, I cover high school. So if you like at all levels of basketball, you can, you can find my work there, but Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Of course. No, and thank you so much for coming on. And we'll have to do it again sometime. And then we'll see if the dog gets a little bit bigger by then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. That's my girl right there, man. Kristen Peake. And we appreciate her for uh, joining us and, and gracing us with uh, with her presence, of course. And always thankful and grateful and overappreciative that uh, she had the opportunity to do so. And feel like we learned some really good things, got some good in-depth uh, knowledge and just detail on what to expect maybe from the NBA draft and, um, you know, what we can look forward to, maybe some surprises within it. Also talking about some of uh, the most recent and latest happenings on the grassroots circuit. And because this is also a multi-level basketball platform and outlet, course we talk a little bit about um i guess nba in conjunction with um the uh team usa the men's team olympics and all that type of stuff so really thankful that she had a chance to drop by and join us um for steve job who ch uh jumped in the chat with us via periscope and uh my boy rich rich richardson uh who jumped in off of facebook live remember go and subscribe I know you guys hate this part of the show, but I got to make sure I do it. Listen, don't just get caught scrolling around through social media and whatnot and like, oh, Deshaun's live. How cool. I can go check it out. I wish I could do it more often. You can. It takes very little time. Just go and subscribe anywhere you find your favorite podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the whole nine. We stream live on Periscope as well as on Twitch, as you can see, Facebook, obviously and Facebook. So it's always uh, really appreciated when you do that, when when you go and tell your mama, grandmama, and your baby mama where they can find the best, the most entertaining, the most informational, and the most educational basketball content on the planet in the form of podcast. That's at Tate's Take on all social media platforms, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. As you know, that is where basketball lives. So we'll be doing a little bit more, got some more interviews that is in the mix and going to be coming up relatively soon. You never know who you're going to get. That's why it's very important to go ahead and subscribe. So that is going to conclude episode number 93. Soon to come episode number 94 as we get a little bit closer to episode number 100. Looking forward to it. Fingers and toes crossed. Eyes crossed. Everything's crossed. Uh, and uh, looking forward to talking to you guys then. Cannot wait to fill you in with more. And um, cannot wait for you guys to join me on the next time. See ya. Bye.